sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Very happy to have as our guest today, my old and dear friend and colleague, Greg Hamilton, who in his current role is president of the Hamilton Library and Constitution Center in Western Colorado. Greg, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Good to be with you again, Alan. You know, your emphasis in ministry is something I want to talk about here. You're a minister, you're a constitutional scholar, a legislative activist par excellence, but where you have really invested is in understanding the prophetic role of the church in light of the life of Jesus Christ. Yep. And I think that today the church has gone far afield from the lessons from the life of Christ. How does our understanding of the life of Christ, how would that influence our understanding of the role of church and society? Well, how he dealt with the chief priests and the Pharisees and how he ministered to those in need. You know, he was often called a wine-bibber. He was accused of being Belzebub, which, you know, is a term for Satan himself or Lucifer. And, you know, he was often accused of that because he hung around, you know, the, um, the so-called dregs of society, the helpless, the poor, the indigent, the diseased, uh, the lepers, you name it, um, the widows, you know, he was constantly, I mean, he went around healing whole villages, it says in the Bible. I mean, I think about that. And of course, you know, he created a populist uprising. So he was seen as a threat, according to Dr. John Stott in his book, The Cross of Christ. He was a threat to uh, the Israeli establishment at the time and a threat to Rome and Caesar himself. And so they had to liquidate him. They had to get rid of him. And, you know, there was constant plots to kill him. And so they figured that the only way they could do it is through a trial and a fraudulent trial at that. And to accuse him that, oh, he says he's going to uh, destroy the temple and raise it in three days. You know, that was used as the he was talking about, of course, the resurrection. He was talking about himself. And they should have known better because that was clearly in the Old Testament in Isaiah 53. And, you know, so it's it's amazing. All the attacks against him was, you know, not only fraudulent, but he associated with himself, not with the pious Christian right of his day, if you will, not the zealot moralist who actually cried out at his trial. We have no king but Caesar um, themselves committing treason, themselves giving their allegiance to Rome. And at the same time. Here, Christ, he's being not only loyal to his Jewish upbringing and the Hebrew scriptures, but he's being true to the gospel message, which is to minister to the needy, the poor, the, if you will, sinners of his day. And that's why I've always said, you know, when you look at Hitler, I mean, who was in his concentration camps? Think about it. No, he had Jehovah's Witnesses, ethnic minorities, religious and political dissenters, same-sex people, and atheists all exterminated along with Jews. You know, I, I really think God's people, not to be morose, but I think God's people, if they're going to be true to themselves, are going to be found on a side that's counterintuitive. It's not on the winning side, at least not on this earth. And we have to face that 
we have to face the fact that we're not going to be aligned with uh, the Christian mainstream of our day. We're just not going to be. And so to me, I ask the question, which side of prophetic history are you finding yourself on? To me, it's a very serious question. So your comments, Greg, bring to mind the scripture. All who will live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Now, I think that the Christian community in America has taken that scripture an inappropriate direction. Oh, yes. In this sense, because, you know, we have a religion of complaint, a religion, um, oh, we're under attack, <laughs> when instead the reality is we have a religion of power seeking, of being the establishment, mm. of seeking. You know, as you were saying, like the Pharisees and Sadducees of old, they were aligning themselves with the political powers of Rome rather than with biblical faithfulness, right? That's what your point was. And today we see the same thing, that if we were, you know, the choice it seems that you are putting forward to the church is you can follow the model of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and align yourselves with the political powers or, you know, and seek power and seek status in society and seek influence in society, or you can align yourself with Christ. And if you align yourself with Christ, you will be found among the rejects. Yes. And well, I, you know, in the annals of human history, it has often been the case that those who fear persecution based on some concocted conspiracy theory and fear of losing individual freedom or power, religious, political, or otherwise, create their own self-fulfilling prophecy. That's <laughs> true. As a result, the so-called persecuted become the persecutors in which their rage knows no boundaries. They plan and execute a zero-sum game in which absolute subjugation, control, and destruction of their perceived enemies is their goal. And it reminds me of a text in John Chapter 16, verse 2, it says that in the name of God, they will seek to kill you. Mm -hmm. And they think they're actually, it says. They will think they're word. doing God's service. Right. It's actually, they think they're doing God's service. And so they go about it in a self-righteous way. And clearly it's anything but Christ. It's of Satan. And so, you know, we've got to really think carefully and, and re-examine ourselves and at the foot of the cross and determine really which side of prophetic history are we on. And to me, the only way you can answer that is at the foot of the cross. So I want to tie in a scripture here that the Lord has impressed upon me to start preaching. And it's the last part of Micah 6.8. You know, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. Mm -hmm. Well, I had a real hard time understanding what it means to walk humbly with thy God. But I finally understood that as long as we insist that we are right, and that we know what's right, and that we think society should follow our view of what's right, we can't walk humbly with God. To walk humbly with God is to confess that God is right and that we're not. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a book um, that really speaks to that point. It's, it's the leading book on uh, foreign diplomacy. It's by Henry Kissinger. It's called Diplomacy. No, it's the best book he ever wrote, and it's still used as the leading book on foreign policy and foreign history and, and U.S. you know foreign policy. And he says in there that almost all wars are usually two countries going at loggerheads or two group of countries going at loggerheads who both think they're absolutely 
they're convicted that they are morally right and they both go at it in a very self-righteous way. And that's what brings about wars and conflicts. I find that fascinating because that's really that's really human nature, uh, understanding of human nature. And if you study political science, that's really what it is. It's a understanding of human nature. And, and that's what the founders did. The constitutional founders, they organized our whole society, our whole government, our constitution, our separation of powers around an understanding of human nature and factions and how to basically harness them for good. And, you know, there's political genius on their part. But, you know, I think that I think in the end, uh, if we're really going to be honest with ourselves, we have to seek to win individuals individually, one at a time. We cannot control events outside of our own sphere. And again, if we're going to be right with Christ, we have to be like Christ himself. Um, we have to give ourselves to him as he sought to minister to others who had very little understanding of these things. We're totally in the dark. And he met their needs by meeting them where they're at in terms of relationship building, healing, and so on, and feeding and clothing. And I, I just really believe that, you know, as Christians, we've got to, we've got to really, uh, refocus our efforts and not get so political that we lose focus of the mission before us. And I think that way we'll be on the right side of prophetic history. Well, even if you don't understand, um, political science or constitutional history or any of these things, all that well, if you're really focused on the mission God has for you, I think they will, in the end, we will, in the end, find ourselves on the right side of prophetic history. That's really where I leave it. So it strikes me then that for the church to be on the right side of prophetic history, it has to remain aloof from power. Yes, it has to be like a lamb. Absolutely. The church that is aligned with power, that is seeking power, is the church that actually enacts and enforces the mark of the beast, isn't it? Right. Um, and Jesus clearly teaches that, um, you know, uh, the true kingdom of God is not an earthly kingdom in which oppressive and self-righteous religious powers manipulate, dominate, and control the government. Um, in fact, the constitutional founders understood that. That's why they intended a secular government governed by a secular constitution. But, you know, the powers that be on the religious right, the Christian right, want to take us back to the days of the Puritans. And, you know, that's frightening. And I don't think people really understand that. The kingdom of God is in your midst. It's where the king is. You know, when Jesus said the kingdom of God is, is among you, he was referring to himself as the king and his presence there, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely, yes. So his presence with us through the Spirit, which is his gift, his parting gift to the church. The, the kingdom of God is us as the church, not establishing some kingdom of God on this earth, right? Yeah, it's really not hard to understand. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very simple concept, and yet uh, one of the chief heresies, really, of the modern age is the idea of establishing the kingdom of God as an earthly dominion. You know, it reminds me of my favorite Greek word in Greek class at Pacific Union College in Napa, California. It was the word dunamos, which means power. I don't know why, but I got fixated on that word. And yet when you take the word power, dunamos, in the New Testament, man, you find it everywhere. And you find all these power-seeking, hungry people and institutions and governments and 
leaders. And it's just, it's alarming. It just blew me away. And it's just helped me to really understand what Jesus was getting about, what true power is. And that is loving your neighbor as yourself and loving God supremely. Well, and it's the dunamis is the Holy Spirit gift to the church is the power of God in our midst. You remind me, one of my favorite passages to preach on is from Acts chapter 1, where the disciples are asking, you know, Lord, is it this time that, you know, we're going to come into the kingdom? Yeah. They want to rule. They still want to be on the right and left hand of power. And Jesus contrasts exousia and dunamis. He says it's not for you to, to know the times or the seasons, which the Father, you know, it's in his authority, his exousia, but you don't get to rule you get the dunamis, the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, we have something better. The Lord has given us something better than simply having leverage with Congress, for crying out loud. <laughs> Amen, that's right. So the life of Christ as really the focus of the church, how transformative that would be. Amen. Well, our guest today, Greg Hamilton, president of the Hamilton Library and Constitution Center. My good friend, thank you for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. It's been a pleasure. And as we close, as always, we want to urge you to support religious liberty. You can do that at the North American Religious Liberty Association at religiousliberty.info. If you or someone you know is suffering religious discrimination, you can check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. You can listen to Freedom's Ring on SoundCloud or iTunes. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.